For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs in a true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, in 2005, Arkansas police charged a man with killing his beauty queen girlfriend. Though the evidence points to another, why does the community remain divided on who committed the crime? We'll review the podcast Murder in Apartment 12 from Dateline NBC. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hi, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also How with us. How are you? <laughs> I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. Also with you us. You look great today. Well, thank you. You look pretty good, too, in your flannel shirt. It's cold out. It is. It's fucking freezing. <laughs> also with us. Are you using a different toothpaste? No. No? Okay, because your smile seems so bright. Oh, thanks, Kevin. <laughs> Am I lighting up a room? You're lighting up a room. <laughs> Thank yes. you. Thank you. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of the Piper Green series of cozy mysteries, Laura Bricker. Hey, Laura. Hey, Rebecca. You're lighting up that room over there, my friend. I am. And every time when I go, there's this one trail in Exeter that I walk on. Um, it's out at Phillips Exeter. They have these very nice trails in the woods. And anytime I walk out there by myself, I hear Keith Morrison narrating, and it was a normal day, and she went out on the trail <laughs> like she did every day. Yes. And I think this is where I could go down. This is and, it. And um, you guys would ha- totally have him narrate that if yeah. I did. You should pick a tree that he can lean against while he delivers that <laughs> stand-up. <laughs> and finally, our resident Outing Thomas, author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hi, Toby. Hi, Rebecca. How are you? I'm good. I'm yeah, good. Toby doesn't light up a room. He's going to live forever. <laughs> Toby's like the dimmer switch walking into the room, just fading it down slowly. Yep, just <laughs> keeping on, keeping on over here. Can you imagine one of these things where it's like, uh, he was murdered and all the friends are like, yeah, he really brought a room down. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's a suspect. <laughs> you see his car pull in, it was just like, fuck. I have to say, that's what's been interesting about some of the Long Island serial killer coverage. You know mm-hmm. how usually like they catch yeah. somebody and it's like, oh man, I had no idea. He was so quiet. When they caught that guy, all the neighbors were like, oh yeah, he was so weird. <laughs> I always thought there was something going on over something there. Something up with that dude. Yeah, it's been, it's been a, it, was, it was a contrast, a contrast in coverage. All mm-hmm. right, so Kevin, what is coming up on Monday? show this is obviously thursday's yeah obvious to you yeah on monday's show we're going to be talking about the new podcast ear witness it's from lava for good the people that brought us bone valley oh yeah bone valley you're never never get over that will you you'll never get over it yeah we were just talking about bone valley in front of some other people and they were like what's that about (laughs) (laughs) don't you have cinemax and it's like not what you think (laughs) not what it sounds like guys it's actually real good Cinemax yep. After Dark. <laughs> okay. But it's good. It's, good. it's a good podcast so it's, far. It's yeah. really, really, really a good podcast. Hey, can I make a, a quick plug for a new podcast I just discovered that I really like? Sure. Isn't that what we do? I know. I know. And this is not a paid promo. It's not even a promo swap. Okay. But one of the people that we met in Dallas, a couple of people we met in Dallas, actually both years, 
Very, very tall, by the way. When I took a photo with these two ladies, one of the reasons I like it is I look so tiny. I look like Maggie Freeling in this photo because they are so <laughs> tall. Yeah. Um, Need a banana for scale. Right. I listened to their show for the first time in my walk this morning. It's called Let's Go to Court. It's got a great log line. It's like one semester of law school, one semester of criminal justice, two experts. <laughs> um, They're and, following me on the Twitter. Yeah. And their show is freaking delightful. I compared it to another show and I was like, it's like that show, but good. Um, and it's just like full of tangents. If you like two friends who are very, very funny talking and having a conversation that's just completely full of tangents and not in any way irresponsible and like engaging, engaging and fun and like in a way that makes you not feel bad in any way for listening to it. I really, really liked it. And I'm going to I'm going to be not garbage. They are wonderful. They're and are also, by the way, lovely people. And they did a live show in Dallas, and I gave them two of my uh, bespoke "Your Podcast Sucks" hats. And I met their husbands, who apparently they don't do like a ton of live shows. And one of the things they were having their husbands do is shoot T-shirts out of cannons at their <laughs> live show. And I was like, oh! And they were like, as one does at a podcast <laughs> live show. And I'm like, okay. And the husbands were like, yeah, we don't know. We're just, they told us. I to- wish I knew they had those cannons. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Anyway, it's Kristen and Brandy and their show is Let's Go to Court. And I really think our listeners would like that show. And that's why I'm talking about it. I think there's some good like crossover listening potential. And I like them. Okay. All yeah. right. So oh. I just wanted to mention that. All right. So should we talk about the podcast we're talking about? Do it. All right. Let's get it done. Leading off, we're going to go ahead and drop that first clip right now. At some point, I I remember telling the boys, don't touch anything. We don't know what's happened here. Was it obvious she was dead? There was that thought in my mind that it could be. In 2005, Kevin Jones discovered his girlfriend bludgeoned to death in her Russellville, Arkansas apartment. Police zeroed in on Jones, thinking the murder of former beauty queen Nona Dirksmeyer was an open and shut case. And once Nona was dead, they said, Kevin staged the crime scene to look like an attempted rape, cleaned up, and then drove 20 minutes back to Dover to have lunch. Despite a strong alibi and critical evidence pointing to an unknown assailant, prosecutors would not alter their theory of the case. And years after a jury would decide Jones's fate, and DNA from the scene was linked to Nona's violent neighbor, many would not change their minds about what happened in apartment 12. And it's about pride and prejudice and a tortured search for a killer. There is a cold-blooded killer out there. He knows who he is. What are we going to do? From Dateline NBC comes their latest podcast, Murder in Apartment 12. Host Keith Morrison looks back at his two decades of covering the case. While still employing his famous droll delivery style, this Dateline mystery does not get wrapped up in a bow at the end. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Murder in Apartment 12. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. I just want to make a note, Kevin, that we had last week the very tragic death of actor mm-hmm. Matthew Perry. And we are going to be, you know, talking about Keith Morrison's signature style in the light way we usually do. But I do want to acknowledge that Keith Morrison was Matthew Perry's stepfather for a very long time and in essence his dad. And it's incredibly sad. And I don't want the audience to think that we don't know that. Right. Right. Okay. But we do have things to say about Keith Morrison <laughs> and his delivery style. So let's just go ahead and do that. Um, so, Kevin, there's an opening sequence here, and uh, it is very Keith Morrison y, is it not? 
Oh, it is. Yeah. I mean, you know, it immediately sort of plants the flag. that This is going to be the usual Keith Morrison tour de force of wry narration and melodrama. And you can hear, you know, the arched eyebrow and almost hear the lean into the, you know, the tree or the wall as he's talking about it. It should have been a season of joy. Choirs and twinkling lights and bright paper packages. And it certainly started out that way in a little place called Dover, Arkansas, population about 1300, where middle school teacher Janice Jones was in a Christmas frame of mind. It's delicious and over the top, and only he can get away with that. But there's also some good, besides the way he delivers it, there's some good stuff here too, I think. Larry Bricker, what do you think? Do you need a little, like, Keith Morrison thing going on? I will always love Keith Morrison. And I think sometimes we listen to so many serious, more straightforward, traditional journalistic podcasts, and there is just something to listening to Keith Morrison and some of the expressions that he just rattles off. Like, I mean, I wish I had written them. I was driving when I was listening, so I wasn't writing them down. But things like, like lions to a piece of meat or like whatever little things he throws in there. And I'm like... To me, sometimes it's it's borderlines on like, I mean, borderlines, it is over the top, but I can't stop because he just tells a story so well. I never lose the story when I'm listening to him narrate. And then I'll be like, oh my God, I can't believe he just said that. I'm like, fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I love it. Whoever now, writes for him does a very good job for his yes, voice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. I was wondering, I was like, who's doing, like, I actually was, as I was driving, Kevin, I was thinking- when I was like, shit, I want to write this down. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I would love to be in the writer's room for this podcast <laughs> when they come up with some of these lines. And they'll be like, wait, but wait, I've got a good one today. <laughs> like, I mean, one of the last ones we listened to, wasn't there one like about the pack of hyenas or something? I mean, it's just, it's it's fantastic. I'm not going to put Toby in the position of having to say he loves Keith Morrison <laughs> and his delivery style, because I know the answer to that question. <laughs> that being said, I am going to skip ahead in the story a bit. Because, Toby, there is a really great, like, journalism moment that Keith Morrison delivers in this podcast where he's interviewing a lawyer in the case who, um, you know, is very uncomfortable sitting across from Keith Morrison. And Keith Morrison doesn't let him get away with it. And it's a great piece of audio. What? What's bullshit? I mean, this is not, I understand who I represent. Right. And I understand that y'all are going to put a letter of spinner on it. But I'm going to sit here and feel like I'm on Nancy Grace. I mean, this is, I'm not, I'm not, I mean. I'm challenging your client's story. I understand that. And And you can respond in any way you want. I understand I can respond. No, you can respond by walking out of the door like a chicken too, if you want. Okay. What it kind of reminded me of is because I just kind of think of Keith Morrison as a presenter. Mm -hmm. But in fact, he's actually doing like journalistic work as well. And I think that may get lost sometimes. I mean, it didn't even get lost for me because I never really had it to begin with. Um, but I, I mean, I didn't realize that he would be doing like these interviews and stuff himself that I just thought like other people would be running around doing stuff for him and then he'd kind of present it. So yeah, that was good. I mean, I think in some ways that was the best three seconds of the entire podcast. <laughs> Kevin? Well, there is some of that too. I, you know, that producers do a lot of the legwork, but he's sitting there doing these interviews and he's he's done that for and I guess that's Katie and Kimberly exactly how long, but at least two decades, probably, right? More Longer than two than decades. So you do pick up a few things, but it, it is sort of, I don't want to say off-brand, because a lot of this is sort of off-brand for, for Dateline in a certain way, because like, you know, I think Laura said, this doesn't sort of wrap itself up very t- 
tidy at the end that there's some ambiguity, which is not what you usually well, there, get. There's a wrongful but, prosecution in this, which is not very date. I mean, I'm no, telling yeah, you, Dateline is changing. Dateline yeah, is yeah, changing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but to see that, you're right. You don't think of Keith Morrison as hard hitting in any way, but he's certainly he's certainly not going to let some you know lawyer dodge his questions and then say, "Oh, you're going to put your spin on this." And you know, he challenges to man up. You know, it's like you're a lawyer. Don't fuck around with me. I'm Keith Morrison, bitch. Right. You didn't the, say that, by the way, listen, but but you know what it is. That would be a good, like, uh, it was implied. Way, yeah, it's that implied. Would, that would I'm be a good, like, ringtone. Why must you suck so bad? <laughs> so, Toby, <laughs> of course, there is a sort of a central issue with this podcast and that it's it's from an old Dateline episode, right? That that now has been sort of expanded into a podcast series. It's very clear, right? Some old reporting that's sort of been blown up and and stretched out. But the issue with some of this older reporting is that all of the crime stories that we used to focus on back in the day had the same kind of victim. And I'm not, I don't want to minimize the murder of Nona Dirksmeyer. That being said, there was only one kind of victim that we used to tell stories about, right? Yeah, I, I have no idea why they made this into a podcast. But, you know, the, the most obvious thing that you get out of this is that, yeah, it's like totally the cult of the attractive dead white girl or young woman. and. It just seems so out of sync with what should be going on. Like, it just seems like it's reinforcing these stereotypes of what true crime stuff does in a way that I can't wrap my head around. I mean, there's a bunch of problems with this podcast, in my opinion, but to just very like picking this particular story because of who the victim was seems like the original sin that kind of led to all these other things as well. Mm. So Laura, the other big story going on in this podcast is the Kevin Jones story. He's with his mom when they discover Nona Dirksmeyer's body and he becomes the prime suspect. There's this very strange uh, theory that he went in and like touched her body and put his hands in the blood in order to cover up the fact that his hands had been in blood earlier, which is, when police come up with these bonkers theories, it's always like the person is like thinking 18 steps ahead. Right. And uh, so but then he gets interrogated at the police department and we hear that tape. You killed him. I'm telling you. Point blind. No, I'm telling you right here. I you missed off because you were there when she got text message from Trey. That's wrong. I don't know who Trey is. Your face right now. Why does your face look like <sighs> that right now? Because this was absolutely rage-inducing. The entire period of time that Kevin Jones is at the police department. I mean, there's shades of like, let's go harken back to Brendan Dassey as a teenager being interrogated and not leaving. It's anytime you have somebody like this that can leave, should leave. He tried to leave. He won't and they won't, out. Yeah. they won't let him leave. So they're just screaming at him. I mean, it just goes on and on and on trying to get him to confess. And the dad goes down and is trying to get him out there and like ends up breaking a wall by like throwing a chair at the wall. And like he ends up getting arrested. The lawyer who might have known somebody from church somehow got a message to the mother. Like it was like this whole convoluted thing of like, tell him he can leave and like, you know, you, sh- you need to go down there and get him out of there. So then the mother goes down and is like outside the door screaming, like, leave, you can leave or whatever until they get her booted out of there. And you're hearing this setup of everything 
wrong being done in terms of how somebody should be questioned in a case like this. And you're, you're seeing people that know it's wrong trying to stop it and being thwarted. And it's just maddening. So that is why my face looked like that, Rebecca. But it gets worse because then we have the fucking polygraph. So, I mean, let's not even, yeah. <laughs> so, so, Kevin, you know, of course, the definition of being under arrest is that you can't leave. Right, yeah. So, listeners. Or you think you can't leave. If, right? yeah, 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 you believe you can't leave. You're under the impression that you can't leave and there you're being kept from leaving. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, listeners, if you're ever being questioned or talked to by the police, ask if you can leave. Am I free to go? And if there's any answer that sounds like yes, go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is my advice. Go. Or the second a conversation starts, get a lawyer. Uh, I think Kevin Jones would have been very, very aided if he had had an attorney in that room. So, Kevin, you think this podcast is generally off brand for Dateline? Yeah, as I was saying, because usually there's stories that like the cops are the heroes and the prosecutors are dogged and like the victim lights up a room and all the, you know, you know, there's sort of a formula here. And what's really interesting, and yeah, I got to the end and I was like, huh, this didn't wrap up the way I thought it would, where you still have, you know, nobody convicted of this murder of Nora, several trials, you got one acquittal, you got one where, well, what happened with Dunn that he, on the second, I'm trying to remember, on the on his trial, was he acquitted? Yeah, he was acquitted. And it's not the kind of thing you usually see, you know, in a nice 60-minute television news magazine, right? Apparently because they'd gone back, sounds like they've gone back at least two other times, right, to this story since 2005-ish. So they had all sorts of tape to draw upon. And, you know, I who was, you know, one of us was talking about, like, well, why now? Uh, that was you, Toby. It was Toby, right? Usually it's Laura, but why, usually, why now? Usually that's yeah. Laura's line. Why now? Oh, uh, what's thing is, now? It's just why, period. <laughs> why, period? <laughs> Question mark. Okay, because I think it's because Gary Dunn is coming up for parole or something like that. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that's the, that's the news peg. hook. Yeah. But, I mean, it is in that way. Like, you know, it's not so quirky, like thing about Pam or one of these other, you know, the Mankiewicz one or anything like that, where you, at the end, there's some clever way where you capture the guy. It's very frustrating that you've got Kevin Jones, who is uh, went to trial twice, acquitted of the murder of Nona, and goes on to become a lawyer. And there are still people in town that think, no, he's the killer. Even though they've got all this evidence against somebody else, a much more, so a much more dangerous guy whose DNA is there, and the cop you know, misrepresented the evidence against Kevin Jones. There's still people who just have their mind made up and that the judge was, he was a liberal. That's why, <laughs> that's why he made those rulings, you know? So that's, that is very different than what you normally get from, from a show like Dateline. I mean, I guess I would add to that is that it seems like with all this time and all the resources they have, like there are some pretty significant loose ends. And the one thing I'll mention, because it's just, I mean, it was just like this siren going off the whole time. Apparently, Nona on her phone has all these messages from these <laughs> other men, right? And then there's yeah. just like, there's no follow-up. There's like no attempt to figure out who these men are, what's going on, or anything. And I was like, oh, we're going to find out about like some dark side of her life. Or maybe she's like selling cosmetics and they're all getting stuff for their, <laughs> their, their girlfriends or something. But just like something and it just dies. I mean, it just, they throw it out there and it's like, oh, this seems like a clue. 
And then nothing happens with it. It's like, oh, all right. Seems like well. it was just a clue to the TV guys. Yeah. Yeah. To the extent that I thought there was stuff that was worthwhile in here. I thought there's a lot of interesting little details about people. We can talk about Dwayne Dippert. We will. But one of the things he does, which I think kind of hampers that, is that he gets her phone and he deletes all her contacts. Yeah. He's cheap. But, you know, if the cops want to, I mean, I'm sure they can figure that stuff out better than he can. Anyway... I was just kind of surprised that, like, if I was putting this thing together and I had no clue about, like, I just had nothing about any of those people who were getting in touch with her, these other men, you know, just maybe just leave it out because all you're doing is teasing people with something that you then try and pretend you've forgotten. Yes, but you're also making her sound like lascivious young woman, which is very intriguing. Yeah, just because you have a lot of contacts in your like your Rolodex or whatever, doesn't mean there's anything wrong. I mean, we've got a lot of friends at Patreon. Mm. Go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Wow, don't, what a transition. Don't give me that look, Laura Bricker. Uh, She's surprised every time. She, yeah, say every time. It's a, it's a magic trick. We're going to talk about this in the business <laughs> section. We have great stuff at our Patreon. We want to welcome so many people that have recently joined because they decided they're going to reallocate their Patreon dollars to something like us, independent creators who really need the support and enjoy the support. Because without you patrons, we can't continue to do up to 15 podcasts every month, the four of us. We want to be able to give you two episodes a week and plus everything behind the paywall at Patreon, including the Crime Writers on After Show. This week you can hear Rebecca talk about her trip to Disney and how she's now a roller coaster person. And how you're not. And how I'm not. Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club is coming up. The new episode. The book is The Man Who Invented Motion Pictures. Right, Toby? Yeah. It's about a French guy who uh, the author makes the case like actually invented motion pictures. It wasn't Thomas Edison. But right as he was about to uh, show his invention to the world, he disappears. Mmm, mysterious. It's very mysterious. How would Keith Morrison handle that? Uh, he'd say... And then it faded to black. <laughs> Something like that, right? <laughs> Another great podcast comes from Laura Bricker. She does her own called Leave It to Bricker, in which she investigates mysteries in her quaint AF hometown of Exeter, New Hampshire. And uh, so, Laura, we've had... Let's see. You learn how to lasso some cattle. I mean, like four yeah. cattle, not like, you know. I, I haven't actually lassoed a real cow yet. I've only lassoed a cone and a wooden cow, but I did okay. round up the cattle on the horse. But um, same I'm thing, working though. up cone, wooden cow, same thing. I'm working up to doing it all. I'm actually looking into some cattle ranch trips. Mm. <laughs> I have investigated the dog poop situation in my downtown recently. And we're waiting for a follow-up to Poopgate. Is there going to be a second episode involving who the mystery dog pooper is? Well, the mystery remains because they know that I'm on to them. I mean, I think I know who it is. Um, so I recently did have a game camera up in the downtown with permission, of course. <laughs> of course. I didn't need permission, but all right. It's public, but... But hey. even I know who it is. I saw the picture of that giant fucking dog. It's definitely <laughs> that, that dog. dog. He's got he's got the starfish <laughs> that to push dog, that out. That, if you dog, know yeah. <laughs> that dog is the size of, like, not even a Shetland pony, like an actual pony. Yeah, a sketchy owner, too. <laughs> yeah, I'm just yeah. saying. Yeah, so... There's, there's a lot going on in Exeter for me to investigate. Um, you never know where I might 
find myself next. Elsewhere in Partners in Crime World, we have a new episode out of These Are Their Stories. It was recorded live in Dallas. The episode is from SVU. It's called Beef. It's great. This is the one where the uh, young muckraking uh, reporter was going undercover at a slaughterhouse and she was killed. And it was, it was this really convoluted episode and, you know, this murder case. Part of it ends up being somebody is trying to frame one of the workers there by planting his semen at the crime scene. Ugh. So this, this is what we talked about. So this is what they say the setup was that Mrs. Vargas was supposed to bring a semen sample from her husband to give it to the mystery woman. And here is how she transported it. Look what she's carrying. <laughs> <laughs> how much semen is she carrying? <laughs> Also, we were asking you to. It was a giant cooler. It was a giant. It was one of those igloo coolers. Yeah, that's a lot of semen, too. Oh, wait. Uh, can we talk about who our guest was for that? Yeah, our guest was great. Roberta Blevin. She's from the uh, Life After MLM podcast, and we will remember her as being one of the sassy salespeople from the Lula Rich documentary. She was the one who talked about the stinky crotches and everything like yeah, that. She was great. Yeah. She's so funny. And we have to thank her because, uh, because of that documentary. Uh, we've been selling our Lara Rowe yes. buttery yeah. soft leggings. I told her all about the Crime Writers on. We should send her a pair of those buttery soft Crime Writers on leggings. She has way too many fucking leggings already. That's true. As she has demonstrated. You can find out all great stuff like, you know, how to buy that uh, leggings merch. You can see Crime of the Week, Pet of the Week, Crime Writers on Beyond the Scenes, all this great stuff with our newsletter. Just go to crimewriterson.com, put in your email address there. Every Thursday, we'll send you a free newsletter with all sorts of great stuff in it. All right, Kevin, before we end the business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Jennifer Higley and Chris Denton. Wow. Bless you. Wow, Jennifer and Chris, I think they're kind of newish to our yeah, Patreon. Yeah, remember Chris? We met him in Dallas, he and his wife. And, I believe yeah. we do. Did he give us a little something, Chris did? What Is he the honey guy? Oh, yeah. Sorry, he gave us... We have we got two. Uh, Toby's like, what are you talking about? He gave us two yeah, pounds of honey. Explain. Yeah, he gave us two he pounds has, of he's honey. Got bees, really? Yeah. Wow. And we yeah, and we have multiple people. Toby, that's give that gave us friendship bracelets. And we have to give some the two for you. you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we have nice. some friendship bracelets. Yeah, they for say you. things like is it the cynic. They, what is mine? They're say? personalized. You'll see. Certified cat lady. <laughs> Certified cat lady. And one of mine says, "I think about the Roman Empire." Yes, yes. And one of them says, "Love of Rebecca's life" on it. For oh, Kevin. that's yeah, I'm amazing. Still defined. He's Marcus, defined by yeah. me. He's the wife guy. That's good. <laughs> it is good. It's as it should be. All right, Kevin, does that end the business section? I start calling you of Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> the handman's tail. Under her eye. Blessed be the fruit, Laura Bricker. I love it. The business section. Love it. And that fruit is a banana. Blessed be it. Yeah. Come on, oh. baby. A banana. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> the hand man's tail. Let's get back to the program, shall we? How about you fade the music out first? Let's go ahead and fade that music out right now. We need to talk about Dwayne Dipert. Of course, this is known as Stepdad, who, um, for some reason, more so than her mom, really gets into the guilt of her boyfriend. But also has some weird ideas about, like, known as apartment, known as life. Oh, yeah, I forgot all about that. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah. What'd you think about Dwayne Diaper, Laura Bricker? It was so weird. So, first of all, you hear the setup about Dwayne and her mother, Carol, when they're, they go out and they're getting together for the first time. And their first date, Carol cleans out his refrigerator. So, immediately, there is something off about both of these people to me. But then Dwayne... He's like 
this like crazy rules guy. I don't know where he's living, like the dark ages or like a convent, but he wanted uh, Nona to be home by 9 p.m. and the doors locked at 10 p.m. at the house on like the weekends when she was like out of high school and like not living with them anymore. Well, that's why she stopped living with them is because he was so militant about this. So then that's why she moved to the apartment, but then she was still over there every day visiting her mother because Dwayne was such a control freak. But I was like, there was a lot of really bizarre stuff. And he was like, just like you said, he was super invested in Kevin's guilt. And then he does this crazy thing with the cell phone because he's so freaking cheap that he gets Nona's cell phone. Somehow, strangely, they give it to him. And then erases everything. they're incompetent, Laura. That's why they give it to him. I think and, they and, prove they're incompetent over and I'm over like, again. What the hell is this? And and erases everything. Get a trap phone for fuck's sake. <laughs> get, get it at a Walmart. Get a, a jitterbug. Swain. <laughs> that is exactly what I have. I have the jitterbug for work. Okay. It's <laughs> yeah. I have an old person phone, Dwayne. I and I have the extended plan because no I can friends, text Dwayne. Do not fuck with get, us. The, the basic one is nineteen ninety nine a month, Dwayne. <laughs> And you can get a flip phone. I got a and red the one. Buttons but... are the size of quarters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's even a big thing. I got the smartphone. I upgraded from the flip to the smart, and it has like it's all about like if you've fallen and can't get up. So I mean, clearly perfect. it's perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Mm. Toby, did you hate him as much as I did? Yeah, I mean, he's ridiculous. I mean, he said <laughs> like you. my first two questions are: Do you like to cook? Do you like to clean? To perspective whatever women um, suitors. No. I'm just kind of surprised yeah. that he did some of this stuff and the cops didn't find it like kind of suspicious. Like mm-hmm. I want her phone and then I'm going to immediately erase all her contacts. Like if I was a cop, I'd be like, a wouldn't give him the phone, but B once he erased all the contacts, that would be a red flag for me. I mean, I'm sure he had an alibi cause they, they doesn't seem like they take him very seriously for that. You know, he asked her to get rid of her pets Yep. Oh, that made me wild. Of course it did. <laughs> you know, this is another thing. They, they're they like, Keith Morrison's like, even nine o'clock curfew, even when she's 19 or 20. But then you find out she actually left the house when she was 18. So it's like, why did you ask that question? Because she doesn't live there when she's that right. age. It's just so and she, but weird. But her apartment was like right down the street. Remember? It's just like a weird, like, why would it's just off? Anyway. Just another thing I didn't like about this. Yeah, I'm not trying to like draw a direct line to things, but we know that Nona, as a child growing up, that she was in a at-risk situation all the time, and it's adults that put her there. Her father abused her. Father abused. Yeah. Yes, you know, and so you know, we don't victim blame, you know, with the, with the mom or whatever, but it's just there is. You know, an environment. The mother didn't in which, take care of her when she was a kid and protect her when she was a kid. It sounds like she wasn't I mean, comfortable talking to her mother about can, the abuse. Yeah. There I was mean, something going on. Yeah, likely. Yeah, it just you know. So the idea that she would be in a home where there is a controlling, overbearing stepfather that says be in bed and be reading the Bible by you know eight fifteen doesn't or sound great. Doesn't sound great, right? So you know you can see there's a reason for wanting to kind of get away at a young age because it. You know, if you want to live like it's 1950 as a parent, then your kids are going to be like 1950 and they're all going to get married at 19 and 20 just so they can get the fuck out of your house. Yeah. And there's a very troubling aspect to this podcast. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to say like with the all podcast the, or the case, the podcast. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I know we talk about these podcasts. A lot of them have been very enjoyable for me, like guilty pleasure wise. 
There's a very fucking troubling aspect of this podcast that I could not get over, okay? So they talk about Nona talking about her sexual abuse to her friends and to her boyfriend, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Then they also talk about the fact that her boyfriend once broke up with her in high school and then she threatened to die by suicide and and then, oh, then they got back together. So then they talk about sort of this like protracted like mental health issues that she had. She clearly was a very troubled yeah. person. But the way that she's sort of characterized in the show, you hear these clips of her, this clip of her singing, which is like kind of incredible. And you hear about her beauty queen stuff or whatever. They just paint such a fucking flat portrait of this victim, right? And then when you actually have things that aren't flat, it's like, oh, well, you know, she threatened to she threatened to harm herself. She, she threatened to die by suicide. And so they got back together. It's just so quickly glossed over and it's so whatever. And it's like, I don't know. It's just like there's a flatness and a weirdness to it. It's like, don't include that detail if you're going to do it that way. That's, that's how I felt about it. It's like, if you're going to do a thing where this podcast is ultimately going to be about... The fact that this kid was really screwed over by the cops, these shitty cops, just don't include all these like salacious things about the victim that are are done poorly. I think Dateline historically has done a poor job of making victims seem three dimensional. Really? Yeah, I'm just. I mean, she's made, <laughs> she's, but she's way, made yeah. to seem like a mess. Yeah, like kind of a like, mess. Like the clear impression you get from the fact that she's got all these dudes texting her. And like, why'd you lead me on and stuff like that is that she's sleeping around or maybe not sleeping around, but like going on dates or whatever. Which, by the way, is totally fucking normal for like a 19 year old. But they don't even have that. But they don't even have like or it could be acting out. Yeah, because that's also something that someone who's an abuse victim at a young age might do, too. But but, you know, it's really not explored. Then they but it could also be an element say, of the crime, right? Yeah, like, you know. Yeah, yeah. I will say like previous Dateline podcasts we've listened to, they've been dumb, but they mm-hmm. haven't included stuff like this that have made me deeply uncomfortable. And that's, okay. that's, that's, yeah. that's kind of like my issue with it. So can I ask a question? Yes. If this didn't have Keith Morrison in it, would it suck? Yes. I actually was going to say that, Toby. And what's your answer? It, yeah. So that's the thing. It's like Keith Morrison is through his narration style is really able to elevate it into something that's listenable. I don't even know if that's a word, listenable, in a way that if somebody else was narrating, I probably wouldn't have been as engaged with this podcast. Yes. And I think because of the issues you're raising about past they went down and didn't fully investigate, I kind of just move on to the next thing because I'm listening to Keith Morrison because he's so damn easy to listen to. You find him entertaining. What about you, Kevin? What do you think? No, it's a great question. Yeah, it's not as fun as Thing About Pam, right? It's not quirky or anything like that. Thing About Pam it's was a, a great fucking podcast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a weird ass story. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I see the, you know, the value to them in this is that it remains a murder mystery, right? We don't, in the end, we still don't know who did it. We feel pretty strongly we know who didn't do it. But, you know, I think it's a pretty straight, serviceable, true crime story, but it just, you know, there are little things that, when I say elevated, I don't mean it makes it prestige. But Keith Morrison, it does add the frosting on the cake. And it just reminded me that I left the cornbread in the oven. Oh, you want to go get that out? That was in the toaster oven, so it should have oh. shut. So, okay. so there's a whole thing, too. To- Toby, you're right. That's a whole crime disaster right there. Yeah. That's never Sounds happened horrible. in the yeah, Yeah, in so the Toby, podcast. you're right. I mean, there's a whole thing where, like, and by the way, I think you can tell which way I'm leaning on this. There's also like some details that are just so poorly done. Like the lawyer for Dunn, they talk about how they they tried to use the other guy did it defense in the Dunn trials, right? 
And then they talked to some jurors, which, by the way, there's one disgusting juror interview where she says, like, she was such a pretty girl. It was so hard to look at her corpse. Yeah. And I wanted to, like, <sighs> I'm like, the fact that you guys included that tape makes me want to, like, like it's, get really it's angry. Nuts. It's, it's nuts. It's disgusting. Do you know, do, I, Is it not illustrative, though? Of, uh... it, just don't include that tape unless you're going to say that that's not an okay. It, just don't do it. That's, like, terrible tape. Don't include it. It's like a pretty corpse is, like not a better corpse than an ugly corpse. Okay. Just it's offensive. Okay. So anyway, uh, but they, they tell, he talks about how, you know, that the, the DNA, how they, they like challenged the DNA evidence in court. And he was like, Keith Morrison's like, well, what about the DNA on the condom wrapper? And the guy's like, well, the DNA just didn't exclude him. It didn't, it didn't say it matched him. And then there's no follow-up sentence. That's like, Okay, it excluded him by like 0.0001%, by the way. Like, make the listener understand, like, what a dumb argument or whatever that was. No follow up. So, as a listener, if I don't know anything, maybe I don't, maybe is how much it excluded him. As a listener, maybe who I'm, I'm like, wait, is that right? Maybe Don didn't do it. I don't fucking know. I don't know. And like, I should know something after listening to this, other than the fact that Don is an asshole. I thought they said something about like how it's, it's like, a smaller percentage than like one person in the entire population of the U S right. But then they make this leap. Like, so it couldn't be anybody in the U S and it's like, well, that's not exactly what that says. Nope. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, that's not understanding stats very well. Anyway, you think have you checked Lithuania? <laughs> <laughs> that one cop, the one who did the crime scene and like to this day defends like, you said fingerprint, but it was a palm print. And that's like one of the reasons you didn't inform the prosecutor that. He also pro- lied. Yes. There was nothing on the base of the lamp. He lied. He says on tape that he lied. And then he tells Keith Morrison he lied. But he's also telling Keith Morrison, I've gotten you know, raked over the coals and people, I got sued for this. Like, I'm a good detective. I'm like, I don't think you are. That's because you lied. And then and then I do like how Keith Morrison's like, by the way, he's a captain now. <laughs> He didn't like lie and go and see Metallica. No. No. Yeah. But he lied about that. Exactly. All right. Let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know. Should they check out the hit podcast murder in apartment 12 from Dateline NBC? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this podcast? So I, I've heard like what everybody said and I, I, there are definitely some issues with the way this is told, but I, There's something about a Dateline podcast narrated by Keith Morrison I will listen to pretty much no matter what. So I am going thumbs up because it's just, for me, it's just entertain, and I don't want to say entertainment over somebody's death, but Keith Morrison just has such a compelling narration style and so many interesting little phrases that he drops in there. And I think, yes, Dateline podcasts we talked about really don't portray victims in a way that feels very real. But I also think this podcast is kind of out of the norm for a traditional Dateline podcast because there's not a clear-cut answer or resolution at the end, which is something new for them. So, you know, I thought it was an interesting case. It was frustrating to me that after all the years that have passed since this murder happened, that there really isn't a resolution. I mean, I think I have some theories about what happened, but in the court system, there really was not closure. But overall, I, you know, I think it was an interesting case. There was definitely for me some rage inducing moments and you got to listen to Keith Morrison. Toby Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for murder in apartment 12? I guess I'll say that if you're like a person who would tune in to listen to Keith Morrison, like read the phone book, 
Like you'll probably <laughs> like this. All right. If you don't, this, this is a, not a good podcast at all. I, the only thing that I think it has to offer is for people who like Keith Morrison. He, he does his thing, but it just lives up to all these negative stereotypes that we have now and sort of look down upon about true crime stuff. It's like a blonde white beauty queen who's killed. There's all these avenues like loose ends that aren't tied up despite the fact that there's years and years go by and you've got all the uh, resources that Dateline has and you can't follow up these things. You just kind of leave these little, you know, Reese's pieces, like this little trail, and you just never follow up on it. Um, I feel <laughs> they like they could have phoned home and, and yeah. fixed those. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I thought this was was really pretty poor, given just the sheer number of cases that Dateline must have that they could possibly do a podcast on, and the resources they have. I don't see an excuse for putting out something that's this bad. So thumbs up. Uh, no, it's I'm a I'm a big thumbs down. I thought I thought this was really really poor. Kevin Flynn, I'm gonna I'm a slight thumbs up. I really appreciate the discussion. And Toby has a great point about if this weren't Keith Morrison, would this be any good? And I think this is what Dateline is, and it's leaning into what it is. And I think the listeners know what they get when they get a Dateline podcast, as opposed to a Sarah Canning podcast or a Dan Taberski podcast or a Connie Walker podcast. I think that we sort of have gotten a little the feel of what these different things are. And I think as a Dateline podcast, it's fairly good. And, it, you know, it doesn't quite do the typical pattern where it just says, yeah, this is who did it. And everybody, you know, and justice is served. It's unusual in the sense that it doesn't go for that kind of quick ending. But, you know, overall, like, I, I can't argue that, like, you know, there's not a lot sensational about it. You know, but if you want to hear Keith Morrison, like, get into an argument with a lawyer who wants to, like, walk away from the interview, you know, this is really for you. Yeah, I, as much as I want to like Dateline podcasts, because some of them have been great, this isn't this ain't one of them. Some thumbs down for me. Not only do we have a problematic central victim, we have a problematic secondary victim. Because, I'm sorry, spoiler alert, close your ears if you don't want to hear it. He ends up being just fucking fine. And he's also a fucking white dude. So I agree with everything Toby said. Tons of unresolved details. For me, some very, very problematic descriptions of the victim. Some things that just should not have been included if they weren't important to this story. And just glossed over and just included too quickly and irresponsibly. And I fucking love Keith Morrison. This isn't Keith's fault. Maybe it is Keith's fault. I don't fucking know. Whatever. I don't love this podcast. I wish I did. Thumbs down for me. But was it his fault? Okay, mm. listen, he called that guy a chicken shit, and that was a good piece yes, of shit. Right. All right. That's going to do it for us. But before we go, Laura Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? We do. In honor of Halloween, in honor of the Halloween season, which is still ongoing, um, Sherlock Bones, um, courtesy of Julie Becker in our Facebook discussion group, a very adorable little, looks like a Jack Russell cross sort of dog in a most adorable little outfit. Oh, 
Oh, shit. It's like a little checkered uh, hat. Houndstooth. I wasn't expecting it to be wearing one of those Sherlock Holmes hats and the outfit and everything. That is some cute-ass clothes right there. It's pretty amazing. So, I mean, my cats won't let me dress them up, so um, I am in support of dogs being dressed up. Same. So thank you, Julie, for this. Oh, my God. Larbricker, folks want to, of course, submit any animal to be Cat of the Week. It doesn't have to be a cat. We all know that. They can email us at crimewritersonit at Gmail. But if folks want to reach out to you on social media for any reason, how can they find you there, Laura? They can find me at Laura Bricker on Twitter. What about you, Toby Ball? How can you be found? At Toby Ball NH on X, formerly known as Twitter. What about you, Kevin? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. You can follow me everywhere at Reb Lavoy. Twitter or Instagram are my faves. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On and follow us everywhere at Crime Writers On. But honestly, I encourage you to join our incredible Facebook discussion group. You can also follow us on Instagram. Just go to our regular Facebook page and hit join the group. We've got a post there. Get episodes early and ad-free and all the extra stuff we have back on our Patreon. It is awesome. It's patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the wonderful Livy Burdett. The executive producer of this program is my brother, Kevin Flynn. The show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement, where we also call squirrely lawyers chicken shit to their face. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you later. Later. In 2005, Kevin Jones discovered his fiancée. She's not his fiancée. Why do you keep saying that? They weren't engaged. Well, I didn't have time to go back and rewrite the fucking script, so <laughs> All the, right. I thought they were. Yeah.